Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Good morning. In this moment, I would like to be able to just take a few moments of quiet and to pray. For this Sunday is the Sunday of Pentecost. Churches around the world are remembering the giving of the Holy Spirit. By the promise of Christ, 50 days after his resurrection, So let's take this moment of silence and prayer. Let's go before the Lord now. Great is thy faithfulness. Where two or more are gathered, your word, Lord Jesus, tells us of your promise. There you are also. You are present with us, before us, beside us, behind us, as Becca has prayed. But you are with us because of your spirit. Help us, we ask, as we now turn to your word. Bring quiet to our hearts, our minds, our spirits, Bring healing and renewal where you need to. Do this, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you. I'm Pastor Randy Lovelace, and I serve here as lead pastor. And this morning, um, we're going to look first at God's word, and then after I read the word this morning, we will release our children to small saints. Uh, has, this has been our practice this year, and this morning we'll do that, and then I will release them to Mrs. Cooper, who's there over there, ready for the sign. So, children in our midst, let's hear the word together uh, as we read, as we hear now God's promise to us. As Paul writes to us in Colossians chapter 2, verses 20, to chapter 3, verse 4. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God bless the preaching of his word by his spirit, and may he help the teacher. 
this time I want to invite our children who take part in our small saints to be excused right over here. You can follow the sign. So you can go there and may the Lord bless your time as you learn of the Lord and grow in strength and in faith. Thank you to our small saints volunteers and to our C3 Kids Ministry. Um, it is a delight that we have a place where our children can grow in faith and knowledge of the Lord God. So the problem of fundamentalism, to be clear before we get started, Paul is breaking open the problem with fundamentalism. But to be clear, we don't reject fundamentals of the faith. But when we reduce the gospel of Jesus Christ to a form of sin management or behavior modification in the hopes of getting God off our backs, of making sure that we are keeping ourselves clean, as Pastor Ken opened as we don't have to come here clean, but this form of fundamentalism believes that if we reduce the gospel to a form of practices and behaviors and sin management, then we will be all right with God, he'll be all right with us, and we'll be good to go. And so this was uh, a very old idea which was present in the time of Paul that was facing this church that he wanted to remind them of what they are called to and what they've been called away from. So as we look at this passage this morning, we will see what he does is he warns them about the principles of the world, this fundamentalism, this form of spiritual growth. But secondly, united to Christ, verses three, chapter three, verses one to four. So warning us against the principles of the world and turning us and reminding us of our union in Christ Jesus. So let's look at this together. In verses 20 to 23, he's outlining these principles of the world, and he does so first by saying and illustrating and going after and attacking this form of behavior that was being put on these new believers who are coming from Gentile backgrounds and not from Jewish backgrounds, but coming from Gentile backgrounds that if they followed these steps, they would be able to stay in good relationship with God. And they would also, if they, if they aren't practicing them, by practice them, they can get in God's good graces. It was about getting in and staying in. And, and you hear it in these words, he says, and, and I want you to note the, the way in which this passage is broken into two. He, he's purposely doing this. In verse 20, it says, since then you have died with Christ to the principles of the world. And then in chapter three, verse one, he says, since then you have been raised with Christ. So he's walking them through this path. And he's saying, you have died to the notion." that by following principles, man-made, handcrafted principles, that you can stay in or get in to God's good graces. And he illustrates it. He, he says this. He says, you have died to these principles of the world. Why do you still feel as though you need to follow them? Now, it isn't clear because the Greek doesn't always break out so easily in English whether they've already been doing these things or they're being tempted to do so. I happen to believe it's, it's the latter. They're being tempted that if they follow these things, then, then life will go well with them. But, but he, he illustrates them. He says, these elemental eye rules of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. 
And then he has this interesting phrase, these are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. What is being talked about there is food stuff. <laughs> that to really be a Christian, yeah, we, we know you're no longer follow the false gods of your Gentile background, but you're following the one true God. But, but the way, the really way to be the front of the bus kind of Christian is if you eat these things and not these things, if you wash your hands in these ways and not those ways, you must pay attention to these rules because in doing so, you will gain favor with God. Paul was battling and he was engaging through attack as a Jewish convert to the Christian faith, having been one who not only taught these laws and these rules, but who practiced them. We learn from his other epistles that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. With regard to the law, he was perfect. But not the law of God, but rather this other set of laws that were written down by the rabbis and the teachers of the law to help us be good people. So now Paul is saying to them, you have died to these things, meaning they are no longer over us. They're no longer a rule to be followed, either to get in good graces with God or to stay in. But then he says something else about them that these principles of the world are very subtly deceitful because they have an appearance of wisdom. And what's interesting is that's the key. It is an appearance, but not the reality. Notice what he says. He says, these are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. So he's saying, so this idea is that food, which is meant to be eaten, and then it goes away, is somehow going to be the, the, the window, the door through which you're going to enter into holiness. It seems to be wise that if you stay away from certain things, if you discipline the body, that then you will be righteous and holy. He says on the surface, they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. And it says, and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack actual value in restraining indulgence. Though on the one hand, it looks like you're being a good boy and a good girl, that you're staying away from the stuff that everybody's declared is evil and is unclean, but the reality is simply what you put into your body or how you treat your body doesn't necessarily mean that you are holy in your desires or your motives. Because what's happened is these basic principles of the world believes that the body is something that is, if you will, a little less pleasing to God than the spirit. And so the belief was that if I discipline the body, then that's the evil part. The rest will follow. But it has an appearance of wisdom, but it's not the reality. Meaning, it's self-imposed worship. That if I do these things, I'll be more respectable to you, I'll be accepted by God, and then I get to get in and I get to stay in. But the reality is, it doesn't actually change who we are fundamentally from the inside. 
or on the inside. What it does is it brings attention to us. Ironically, the very thing that is set out to lead us to be more like Jesus actually does the opposite. It leads us away from trusting in Christ and puts us at the center of attention. Albert Camus, uh, in, as an author in his book, The Fall, writes these words, but too many people now climb onto the cross merely to be seen from a greater distance, even if they have to trample somewhat on the one who has been there so long. It looks like through discipline and hard effort at being in God's good graces, we are actually taking the glory away from Christ and we're putting it on ourselves. Paul says, because of Christ, who fulfilled all of the law, who is obedient in every way, has fulfilled the law, and it is therefore no longer over us as something that must be obeyed to its fullest extent because we never could, never will. Christ has done it as such. Therefore, our acceptance and getting into a relationship with the Lord and staying there has nothing to do with our effort. He has done it. He has died. And therefore, as a believer, united to him, we too have died to these principles of the world that believes that we can make ourselves clean. Because ironically, the very things that we believe will make ourselves clean takes the glory from the risen and glorious and victorious Christ. Now, it would be easy if you think about fundamentalism as it has been expressed in the West and the United States, it would be easy to simply pick on maybe other Christian traditions. I remember my very, one of my very first self-conscious entry points into what Christianity was, was presented to me as something that meant this, that I needed to really be a Christian, I couldn't listen to non-Christian music. This, at moments, is funny, but at that time, I said, are you kidding me? And it made me so angry to be told that if I listen to Stevie Wonder, that I will not be accepted by God. Now, that's, that's a very crude and simplistic way, but that's how it was presented, so it'd be very easy to sort of pick on this fundamentalism of behavior and sin management, whatever we think that is, as a means to get into good God's good graces. But I would like to stay with our own house. Now, as a pastor of 25 years within the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, while we may not reduce fundamentalism to a set of actions that we, everybody needs to follow, we do often think that as long as we have orthodox belief, our furniture intellectually in the right place, that that somehow will keep us in God's good graces. That as long as we have the right understanding of the gospel, then I will be okay. 
But I know I'm not the first to say that food laws and following food laws does not make your heart clean or change your motives or your desires, nor does having the right theological acumen or accuracy make you any more acceptable to God, nor does it make you more likable. Because so easily that idea of having the right theological furniture in place can very subtly and very quickly become a form of pride through which we now put on these Reformed and Presbyterian glasses and we look out at the Christian world around us and pick out not what is worthy and praiseworthy and reflective of the character of Christ, what we see is where they fall short and where they might be wrong. And on Pentecost Sunday, I need to say that used to be my thought of the charismatic and Pentecostal church. I was like, I, I can't believe they worship that way. Yeah. That, that, that's not godly. That, that's, not, that's not the way we're supposed to worship, I thought. Until my professor said, mm, you might want to rethink that. Who died and made you Christ so that you can judge what's happening in the hearts of other people who are worshiping around you? Good point. But that was in the heart of seminary. That was an important intersection for me to hit because I could see that I was being trained in the right doctrine, the right belief. Don't, don't get me wrong. Don't leave here and saying, well, doctrine isn't important. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it can't become our form of fundamentalism through which we view our own righteousness and we judge others. For Christ is our righteousness. Because here's the reality. Guess who has perfectly orthodox beliefs with regard to the Trinity? Satan does. The devil knows the Bible. The devil knows the Westminster Confession of Faith. But that doesn't make him righteous. We have to be careful for the subtle ways in which we set out a separate form of steps and laws that we believe we have to pass through to make ourselves acceptable or to stay in relationship with Christ. Because in many ways, whether it is trying to act right, do right, or believe right, doesn't put us closer to Jesus. It just becomes, in the words of Flannery O'Connor, just another way of avoiding him because we try to become our own saviors. Didn't we just sing together, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine with 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. The problem of fundamentalism is it puts the focus on us and away from Christ. But it is his faithfulness that makes us righteous. It is his faithfulness 
that makes us clean. It is his faithfulness that gives us grace to walk with him. And this is what Paul turns to next when he says, united to Christ. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's the first thing, he says, being united to Christ. It is Christ who is above. What does he mean? Set your hearts on things above. If you will, I believe it is this. For our life of coming into relationship with God is Jesus is the source of grace. He's our anchor. There is no other anchor. There is no other foundation. Jesus is the source of grace. Jesus is the strength that we live by grace. He's the fuel. And Jesus is the destination through grace. He's our home. He's the anchor. He's the fuel. He's the home. This is what Paul is saying. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. He's, He's the one who, through whom we receive forgiveness of sins. He's the one through whom we have the strength to walk with and to follow him. But he's the ultimate destination. For in the mystery of God's economy, what we will be, we cannot yet see. It is hidden from our eyesight. We have already experienced the grace of forgiveness, the grace of new life if we believe in him by faith. But what we will become, we haven't yet seen. It is hidden in the glory and the beauty of Christ who is seated at the right hand. But when he comes and when we appear before him, what we will be will come into full fruition because he's our home. And how we get there is not by making ourselves righteous, that has already happened through the work of Christ. And how we walk there and get there is also by the very same grace. Jesus is the source, he is the strength, he is also the destination. But I want to be clear in the words, and I can't say it better than the great theologian, Pastor Dallas Willard. When he wrote these words, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to merit. It is not our effort that gets us to experience the source of grace, but it is his grace that strengthens our efforts to become more like Christ. So please understand it isn't saying that there aren't things that we have to do, that there are actions that we must undertake, disciplines that we need to give ourselves to, but they're not the means of getting in and they're not the means of staying in. 
and they must come from Christ himself, that what we do and give ourselves to in the word makes us more like him in his character. Said another way, Dallas Willard also wrote these words in an interview in the late 80s. We have been taught that grace means you can do nothing to be saved. This is true. Such thinking, however, is often extended to you can do nothing to have spiritual growth. So spiritual transformation occurs according to this thinking in one of two ways. You're either inspired or you get it through information. Inspiration means that in one golden moment, one great experience, you'll be transformed. I don't want to criticize experience. I've had many wonderful experiences with God, but they don't transform me. The other view is information. And this means that when you have truth poured into your head, suddenly you're going to be transformed. Inspiration isn't going to do it. Information isn't going to do it. The only way we become more like Christ in, his human, in, in our human character is to be transformed by grace, and that involves discipline and it involves activity. But do you see the difference? It's not fundamentalism because it is a grace that is a strength through Christ for what he has done, and we get to become more like him. And we fail, and we fall, and we sin, and we stumble, and one day we are great encouragement. Another day we can speak to somebody in a forked tongue. But his grace is faithful. And his mercies are made new every morning. Didn't we sing that? But that doesn't mean we aren't called by his grace through the power of the Spirit to set our minds on Christ alone. For this is what Paul ends with in this section. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This setting our minds means that we've been freed by grace to follow him in his ways. We're not frozen by grace. We've been given new effort, new ability, new discipline. Not for ourselves, but that Christ might be formed in us. Because what's going to happen in the rest of the letter is Paul's going to turn to ethical distinctions, what it means to know him and what difference that makes in our desires, our motives, our actions. But absolutely none of it is done by ourselves for ourselves. It is done by Christ, through Christ, to be more like Christ. As we've sung these words together, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, your hand has provided. It is not through our effort that we get to experience his grace, and it is not by our effort that makes his grace enough. It is all a gift of Christ that we who call on him by faith are slowly and often imperceptibly being made more like him 
So let us be careful in asking the question, in what ways have we thought that by our effort we can get in or stay in? Or in what ways have we put these bars in front of people to think that they have to get over them to experience the grace of Christ? Every service, as Pastor Ken leads us and our other leaders say the same, if you are not a believer this morning, you need to understand you are welcomed here regardless of where you are. You do not have to change to hear the grace that is given to you. But we want you to know this. God's grace never leaves us as we once were. Not by our strength, but by Christ. This is true for you, Christian. He means to make us new. He means to make us mature. He wants us to grow in Christ's likeness and in his character. But it is all from grace, by grace, to Christ alone. May he do that in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your grace and mercy to us. Father, we thank you for what you tell us in your word that you call us away from a false righteousness that is achieved by our own effort that leads to pride and judgmentalism. Lord, forgive us. We ask you to help us by your grace to set our hearts and our minds on Christ alone and on Christ above that by his grace, through his grace, and to his grace, we are slowly being made more like him. Do this, we ask, in Jesus' name, amen.